a good morning from me, friends, and a happy Easter. And actually, I mean, I, I can see some KV Kids folks on screen. Uh, if you are anywhere nearby, um, I've got some chocolate, so I'm going to wave mine and show you. If you've got yours and you want to wave it as well, I can see it. I don't know if anyone else can. You can just look at me showing off mine. Great, just me showing off my chocolate. Got a bunny made out of Maltesers. Life is great. Um, friends, a happy Resurrection Sunday from me, a happy Easter Sunday. Um, and on the one hand, you might think that my job this morning is easy. It couldn't be simpler. To bring you a message about Easter Sunday, there's a really simple, obvious, fundamental message for me to share with you this morning. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. I know you're muted, but I can I can hear you. The overwhelming wall of those who've been in a traditional context. I love it. Um, I was thinking around what passage in the New Testament I wanted to dive into to explore this wonderful truth this morning. And I was gearing myself up for what I thought was going to be a really fun look at uh, a fantastic passage where Paul lays out an argument in 1 Corinthians 15, where uh, this, this wonderful truth of how Jesus's resurrection means so much for us what it means for us, how our life, how our existence is transformed by the fact that Jesus rose again, and how we can look with such confidence to our own resurrection because Jesus rose from the dead. That was my plan. I was excited. And two things stopped me from using that passage to share that message this morning. Firstly, and quite importantly, we already had a passage chosen for this morning, which of course I had completely forgotten about whilst thinking about my Easter Sunday message. Uh, we're traveling through the book of John. We had taken such care in our preachers team meeting to line up the resurrection passage in John chapter 20 with Easter Sunday. I did that and my shocking memory strikes again. Secondly though, and I think even more importantly to why we're not preaching 1 Corinthians 15 and we are looking at John 20, is that that's what I felt the Lord wanted to say to us this morning. There is a time and a place for Paul's triumphant, logical demonstration of the power of God through Jesus' resurrection. It's wonderful and it's true. But it's not what the Lord has for us on this specific day for this specific people. And so this morning, we'll be looking at not just the glorious news that Jesus rose from the dead, but specifically how God broke that wonderful news to us. God is so tender, so kind, so gentle, so meeting us where we're at in the way that he announces the most glorious moment in all of history. And yet, wouldn't it have been so right, so justifiably splendid for God to have sent in angel army choirs? I mean, the shepherds got some booming voices that shook the world, powerful, bold displays of God's might on this of all mornings. Surely, if there was any moment for God to show his power and his righteousness, his victory, this was the moment. Banners, triumph, fireworks. But John's gospel shows us that on this most special of mornings, God chose 
tenderness. Intimacy and reverence are what we see as a grieving woman is treated with gentleness and dignity. And Peter and John are given clues to help them grasp and take in the magnitude of what God has done. My friend Jess is waiting, willing and raring to go to read for us now. John's, John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. One to 18. And this is the New Living Translation with extra echo from me. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> no problem. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus's head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus uh, that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognise him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the father, but go and find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Amen. Thank you, mate. Thank you so much. It was early, not yet light. I went and, and did some dates and checking and, you know, when people think the date of the resurrection probably was and, and what time sunrise is in Israel, that part of the, the world, that time of the year, that time of the morning, it was early. Before five o'clock in the morning, probably. Maybe even earlier still. When Mary Magdalene made her faithful, sorrowful trip to go and see Jesus. Maybe she was taking the burial spices with her, as some of the gospels suggest. Although John told us last chapter at the end of chapter 19 that the really wealthy Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had provided this tomb for Jesus' body and what we reckon might have been 33 kilograms worth of burial spices 
a ridiculously extravagant amount, enough for a royal burial. Well, Mary maybe didn't know that, and maybe she was bringing her own spices. Or maybe Mary did know that, but she was bringing her own spices. Her precious friend and Lord deserved all that she could offer him. Maybe she didn't have the spices with her on this trip. She just wanted to go and be close to Jesus, even after his death. Maybe Mary made that mournful journey just to sit nearby and weep. This isn't in my notes, but Lucy spoke so well on Friday to bring the, the moment of Jesus' death, the magnitude of it to the cross, uh, uh, to <laughs> magnitude of the cross, sorry, to, to life, um, a place for me to, to sit and, and dwell with it. If you haven't heard it, I endorse it to you just to capture a glimpse of the pain. When we talk about getting up early for, for an Easter service and uh, St. Andrews has a lovely tradition of, of the Easter sunrise service. Some students sometimes used to gather on the beach to watch the sunrise, beautiful. They didn't have this tradition. Jesus was dead. John's resurrection account begins with a woman broken at the loss of her Lord getting up in the darkness to go and sit near him, expecting to weep. This is not fireworks across the sky. This is a very real, very human, very normal response to losing someone who you don't just respect, but you deeply, deeply care about. Mary, a faithful follower and friend of Jesus who'd been healed miraculously by him, held Jesus in such reverence and such intimacy that her grief was deep and real. But then crisis, the tomb's seal is broken. The stone's been rolled away. This must be more evil meddling, surely. Some twisted political person has come and messed with Jesus' body, yet more indignity, surely. So breathlessly, Mary runs, she alerts Peter and John, who seems to have been nearby, to this new heartbreaking development, and Peter and John sprint right back to the tomb. What were they going to do? Take on a Roman army? But they go, they have to find out. And in verse 7, Peter spots that the linen cloths, particularly the face cloth, were folded up. In a Jewish burial custom, bodies were buried quickly with spices like myrrh and aloes applied to the body to help make the smell be not quite so bad. And then the body wrapped with white linen sheets, maybe a, a bit like how we might picture an Egyptian mummy. So what is fascinating about what Peter and John see here is that there is nobody but there is a pile of sheets. That doesn't make sense. If somebody had broken in to steal that body for whatever reason, it makes a lot more sense for that person to pick the body up and carry it away still wrapped in sheets. That is by far the less gross way of moving a body. So 
why are the sheets still there? The mystery deepens further when we see that the face cloth was folded up. I was so struck by this and so reluctant to make my bed, as my parents would attest, that I went and checked the Greek word that John used in his original gospel here to make sure, and it means wrapped or folded. Make no mistake, this had been put neatly. It's as if Jesus had woken from death and made his bed. I mean, I think that's pretty epic. I wouldn't be needing this anymore. And baffling or even comical as that is to me, Peter and John there look. They try to take in what they're seeing and John gets it. John has seen enough clues, the abandoned wrappings, the folded headcloth, the rolled away tombstone, and John dares to believe that somehow this is good. Jesus is in this. This isn't the work of some twisted grave robber. This is somehow the victory of the one who has defeated death. Verse nine tells us that neither John nor Peter had put together Jesus's own clear predictions about rising from the dead with the promises in scripture, what we call our Old Testament. They hadn't clocked the stuff that pointed to this moment, and it would take Jesus helping them to see these wonderful truths and prophecies before they could fully understand what they were living through. And Peter, we're told in Luke's gospel, Luke 24 verse 12, didn't understand. He went away wondering, Luke 24 12. Peter's older, maybe a bit more worldly wise, maybe a bit more bruised and cynical than his young friend, John. And if the idea that Jesus could have risen again had occurred to Peter, he did not dare allow himself to believe it. It would take Mary's message later on, and maybe even Jesus showing up to Peter in person, which we'll hear about next Sunday morning, before Peter would believe. Friends, I suspect that gathered here amongst us digitally this morning, we have a few Johns who would have seen those few clues and our hearts leapt with anticipation and joy. Yes, this is my Jesus. Come on. Yes, I see this. Come on. And I suspect that this morning we also have a few Peters who, through long and painful sometimes hard experience, could see those same signs, but just, I can't risk the heart space, the energy to believe in this. What I think this passage has for you this morning, if you feel a bit like Peter may have done, is permission. Permission to be honest about that, to meet Jesus, or perhaps to allow him to meet you where you're at. He knows, of course he knows. And whether you are in a John place and Jesus loves to run with us in those times or a Peter place where I think God has such grace for that. He knows and he wants to meet you there.
John tells us then that he and Peter went home. Maybe they just didn't know what else to do. Maybe it was just not wise to hang around a tomb when there was still an army wandering around. We don't know, but they went home. And John's story of Easter Sunday switches focus back to Mary. When did she arrive back at the tomb? We're not told. Maybe she ran back with Peter and John following them. Maybe she had delivered her news, hung her head and walked back and arrived some time later. Whenever she got there, she stays. And if she had intended earlier that morning to go and sit and weep, then <laughs> she's got the chance now. And she weeps and she wails. This word again in the original language is not quiet, gentle sobbing in silence. It's, oh. And Mary sitting there, staying, lingering, reminded me of a verse in the book of Exodus that we've been discussing in the micro home group that I'm in last week, where I've learned to be silent. Moses had set up a tent of meeting near the place where God's people camped in the wilderness. So Moses would go into that tent and he would enter into the presence of God. It is a glorious picture. Clouds descended on that place. This is Exodus 33, if you're interested. Clouds would descend on that place. Moses met with the Lord face to face. And whenever Moses went to the tent, all of God's people would stand at the entrance of their own tents, would watch on and worship, as these famous and powerful meetings took place. Great. And then Moses would leave. And then we read that his assistant, Joshua, his apprentice, who actually would then go on to lead God's people after Moses died. We find out, Exodus 33, 7 to 11, that Joshua would stay in that tent, face down, worshipping God. A couple of verses after that, in verse 15 of Exodus 33, we read Moses saying to God on behalf of all of his people, Lord, if you're not going with us, we're not going. Great. But after Moses' conversations with God drew to a close, and they were great conversations, I'm sure, Joshua wouldn't even leave that space. Joshua stayed. He hung around in the presence of God. I know a few of us, um, have found the opportunity in this strange lockdown season to stay in the presence of God in a way that our lifestyles of rushing from place to place beforehand might not have allowed us. Those of you who've managed that, well, I don't need to congratulate you. I think the presence of God is, is the reward enough. No words I can say will add to that. Those of you who haven't managed it, it's, it's really good. Just stay with him a while. And whatever danger Peter and John may have felt in hanging around the tomb that morning, Mary stayed. And whether Mary heard Peter and John pointing out the grave clothes mystery or even heard John speak out his hope, whether she did or not, it didn't change how she felt. Rooted to that spot and overcome with grief, with confusion, with hurt, 
Mary ignores what anyone might say or think, and she breaks down, crying aloud for her Lord and her friend. That's how Easter Sunday happened. That she was weeping, stoops, peers into the tomb, and Mary, in addition to the grave clothes, sees two white-robed angels sat there, one at the head, one at the feet of this missing body. And what's that about? Why one at the head, one at the feet? It's almost as if they're guarding the spot, one at each end. I mean, personally, I wouldn't have been surprised if that had been their mission whilst Jesus' body had lain there. And if so, then the very thing that Mary cared about, the protection and the right treatment of Jesus' body, had been firmly in God's hands all along. Imagine that, eh? The angels speak to her. And Mary isn't bowled over. She doesn't react the way that people in scripture usually react, bowing down to the ground, crying out in fear. Mary's already crying. Maybe in her grief, she doesn't even realize that they're angels. It could well be that in that moment, Mary Magdalene just couldn't see anything beyond how she was feeling. Like the very small child who's been told no and just can't see beyond it. Maybe she didn't even recognize that they were angels. Maybe it didn't matter. Maybe she was already at the end of herself, already overwhelmed. And even two angels appearing to her to speak to her doesn't change how she's feeling. But they're so tender. The New Living Translation inserts the word dear here to, to convey, to reflect the tone that I'm sure the angel spoke with. Dear woman, why are you crying? And her answer shows her pain clearly because they, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where they put him. But beautifully, tenderly, her deepest longings are fulfilled. She turns to leave and there's someone standing there. Now, he asks exactly the same question as the angels, which might have been a clue if Mary could think straight. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? But Mary doesn't realise who the man in front of her is. She mistakes him for the gardener, and as a desperate plea, she begs him in case he might know where her friend's lifeless body has been taken. And again, no booming voice, no flash of light, no divine tada. It wouldn't have been appropriate. It certainly wouldn't have met Mary where she was at in that moment. Jesus, the risen Jesus, gently, tenderly lets her know who he is by speaking her name with, I am certain, the tenderness and intimacy of a deep friendship with God. How would God say your name? How does God say your name when you sit with him and maybe even cry?
if that sounds like a balmy question to you, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, maybe ask him. Maybe make some time in the silence with him and ask him to call you close by name. I'm sure that what you will hear, probably within your heart, I mean, maybe out loud, but probably in your heart, will be that tender, intimate voice of your heavenly father. I'm sure of it. Mary. It's enough. She instantly recognizes him. My teacher, she cries, which is the translation of Rabboni, my teacher. It's a cry of deep reverence and, and pledging allegiance, submission, devotion, my teacher. But it's also a cry of intimacy, my teacher. She doesn't cry, mate. There's such love, but there's also such reverence. She's addressing her Lord, but she loves him. And friends, again, I know this has been a real trial year for so many of us. Some of us have lost loved ones. A lot of us have missed singing together as a church family, laying our hands on our friends' shoulders or backs as we pray with them, the hug of a true friend, especially when we really need it. And the injustices exposed over the last year, the horrors of racism that still plague our world, the violence against women that just should not be, the social injustices that mean that the poorest in society have again borne the brunt of this current tragedy harder than those of us who have the privilege to work from home, say. All these things, they've been hard to take. The world is still so painfully broken. And the restrictions around our lives, around the pandemic especially, have changed our lives so completely. They've isolated us so fundamentally. And many of us are hurting because of it. Let alone, let alone those of us who've also been dealing with our own griefs of financial worries, illness, or losing loved ones on top of that. I, I just wanna call out and, and acknowledge that I know many of us are tired. We feel cut off and long for the carefree days laughing around a table with our friends and family. So this Easter Sunday, though I love, I love to unpack the logic and the theology of why the resurrection matters, I think that the glorious risen Lord wants to meet us, each of us individually and all of us together, with the tenderness that Jesus met Mary with in that garden. He broke the news to her gently, patiently, not telling her to stop crying or shocking her with a blazing declaration, but going to her, standing with her in her grief, calling her dear woman and calling her by name so that she could lift her eyes and see him. 
If you feel on top of the world this Easter Sunday morning and life is genuinely going well for you, honestly, I'm really pleased. And I encourage you to spend some time with God rejoicing with him today. And if you feel dragged down by the world this Easter Sunday morning and life has been hard and your eyes are more likely to fill with tears than they are to be raised to the heavens, then Jesus knows. And I think that he would break the news of his resurrection to you this morning by softly speaking your name and showing you that in his victory, he wants to meet with you, whatever you're feeling. And by the way, because Jesus rose from the dead, we know that his death on the cross that took our sin and shame didn't claim the final world world, <laughs> uh, but that Jesus' new life did. That we can celebrate Jesus' victory over the very worst that this world has to offer, even death. That we can know that this new life was not just for demonstration purposes only, but was the first amongst all of us who will rise in perfection to be with him forever too. Because Jesus rose from the dead, because he defeated death that Resurrection Sunday, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them even by the cross, Colossians 2.15, and then rose from that death in triumphant new life. He has that new life and that full authority to share with us, to overcome sickness, death, the evil one and his forces of oppression, even the rules of nature themselves, when we ask him for his miraculous provision or healing and he comes through. I couldn't resist. I had to tell you there's some good news to be shared this morning. And I do want to share really briefly that at the end of our service last week, not quite seven days ago, in the prayer ministry breakout rooms that we had at the end of the service, someone in this church experienced physical healing in response to prayer. And I'll just read you couple of lines. Uh, this person said, I had sciatica Friday. Saturday night I was in a lot of pain and didn't get much sleep. After prayer on Sunday it was much better and I slept well Sunday night. By Wednesday it had gone completely. Thanks Ben. The risen, living Jesus had conquered death, defeated the works of the enemy and has power over evil including illness. In his name, we can pray to God for his power to do his good works, including healing the sick. That's one excellent reason why the resurrection matters. But honestly, though I celebrate that and I, I love it, the miracles, the healings, I think these things are cherries on the cake. They are wonderful bonuses alongside the main gift that Jesus being raised from the dead gives to us we can have a relationship with the living Jesus. And that's it. That's the main gift of resurrection. That's the main meal in this banquet that God lays before us, that the living Jesus who spoke this tenderly to Mary is even now alive, sat at the right hand of Father God, speaking to him on our behalf and speaking to each of us with such a love that we could not comprehend until we meet him face to face. And frankly, I don't rate my chances of fully getting it even then, but I know it'll be good. What does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead? 
God brought our best friend back. And also with a promise for us that he'll bring us back to. Jesus didn't just go through that painful death as an example for us to remember. He's come out of the other side of it, defeated it even so that we can sit with him even now and relate to the God who has truly been through it and offers us his company. This is not a memorial religion. This is an active relationship with a living God who went through it and he went through it, but is alive. His presence with us now, as well as our hope for the future. And I want to share with you um, one other story, perhaps less exciting than a miraculous healing. Um, but I collected a handful, and thank you so much for those who sent them in, a handful of stories of um, God at work amongst us in less dramatic ways, building that strong relationship with us that is now possible through our risen Lord Jesus. For time, I'm just going to share the one, but um, I had loads like this and they really encouraged me. Ben, would you mind popping the next bit up on the screen? This person said, over the last few months, we've studied the silence and solitude course in my home group. As I've made time to wait on God, I found myself more aware of him throughout the day. Sometimes I've got words and pictures. Often the best times have been without words. I felt God's presence like a friend accompanying me in sadness and joy without the need for words. I love that. There's a great Mother Teresa quote that I'll tell you some other time. Spending time with Jesus, that relationship with him, that's the gift. I love the miracles. I love the signs and the wonders. But really, the friendship, the completely restored, purified, wow, I inherit Jesus' innocence and righteousness and can sit with him. No awkwardness between us. I can enter into the presence of Father God gloriously, freely. That's the gift. The rest is brilliant bonus. If you've not said yes to God's offer to forgive you and your rebellion against him and to receive that loving, restoring relationship, then Easter Sunday is a pretty good day to do it. And for every single one of us, my invitation this morning is, like Mary, let us, each of us, allow Jesus to meet us where we are at today. Let our celebrations of Easter not have a whiff of veneer, of pretense, of going through the motions, but let us truly, from where we really are, turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And if we do, then I'm pretty confident that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. One last thing from our passage. Note that it was Mary who was honoured 
with carrying this most wonderful message to the disciples. Jesus met this broken woman and gave her the privilege of breaking the news to Jesus' friends. And today, as we share the wonderful reality that the man called Jesus who lived 2000 years ago actually rose from the dead, in that miraculous moment around which all of history turns, through whom we can know God again and be restored to the relationship he always made us for, as we share this beautiful truth, let us do so with a reverence for God and an intimacy with him that we see he modeled to us in that first resurrection encounter too. Why don't we pray? Would you come, Holy Spirit? Lord, we love the miracles. We love the joy of seeing you at work. But Lord, there are cherries on the cake and we long for your presence with us more so than anything else. Would you, Lord, bless us with celebration this morning? And whether that's the celebration of triumph or celebration amongst tears and the weight of, of the season we've been living through, would you come and breathe life into us, Lord, on this day when uh, <laughs> that seems just such a fitting request? Your life, please, Lord Jesus. More of you. Would you meet us with your tenderness? And would you bless us with your tenderness for those to whom we can bring your kingdom and introduce closer to you? Amen.